Was that me? There we go. I have control. Huzzah. Sweet. Awesome. We need to practice making circles, circles with gaps especially. It's a peanut. Okay, well, peanuts are inherently curvaceous and dimply. Amen. Father, we just thank you for you and just ask that you just speak to us tonight and implant your truth and heartbeat inside us. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Very kind. I'm not going to move from here, so you can come join us, man. That'll be fine. So, uh, last three weeks, this will be week three that we're doing this and, and going through some of the, the core elements of, of what makes us a church and what we believe and what makes us Christians and, and bits and pieces like that. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we, we spoke about let's see, we got, um, who is God? And who can tell me the four aspects of who God is that I wanted you to remember? Yes, lads. Fire? Yep. That's fine. Light? Love? Good. Good. Well done. Okay. So what I didn't do the first week, and, and one of the things that I've been doing is reflecting and learning my process as I go. Um, Josiah came home from Kids Church this morning and was able to rattle off what we've been talking off the last few weeks, uh, which was really exciting. And he's seven, and so that, that's, that's good. Good work, Pastor Dave. And so one of the bits to my process that I realized we haven't done the last couple of weeks is actually got you guys to share. Because really, I don't want to just give you information. What the, my whole intent behind this is actually to empower you and impart into you something that you can actually communicate to somebody else that they can grab and, and then go communicate to somebody else who they can go and communicate that to someone else. Uh, one thing that the church, when the church does best and when the church is functioning its best, it's not functioning its best because of a, a single leader. It's functioning its best because it's got um, a culture of, of who Jesus is that's passed on down a generational line. And, and so that's what I really intend to do, and, and I'm still learning how to do that and, and do that better, and that means shaping inside me and also shaping process. So one thing that I want to do first up is we spoke about four things there. God is love. God is light, which means he's holy and pure. God is fire, which means he's righteous, and he judges based on righteousness. We know what fire does. Fire consumes things. And God is good. God only does good things. So four things there. Very simple. Let me see if I've actually got them up here. There we go. And so what I want you to do, I want you to find someone and tell them these things. Maybe share a little bit about them. Take a, a minute and just share these things to someone. And then that person is going to share them back to you. You might have been here a couple of weeks ago, and that's good, and we've talked a lot more about this. You might be here, and, and that's okay. And if you're here for the first time, that maybe someone needs, needs to share that with you. Um, but I know the people in the room that are here and haven't been, and most of you guys know it, so that's all good. So go find someone 
and tell them these things. It could be, or you could go find somebody else. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes on that. And I want you to share it both ways. So everybody has a chance of sharing these four laws, the four truths about who God is with each other. All right, another 30 seconds on that, and we'll pull it back. I did it, Scott. You did it by your picture. Okay, finish up on the sentence that you're on. So my, my heartbeat is that everyone in our church would be able to talk about these things and, and share them. Um, then last week we spoke about... Something else. There we go, God and us. So we spoke about who God is. God is love, light, fire, and good. And last week we spoke about God and us and what that actually means. And few key aspects to know on that is God. The first aspect all starts with God. God made us in his likeness to know and enjoy his love and this life and manage the world he created. So God being love created us to love us and for us to love him. And then us 
Well, we sinned. God is light. And in our sin, we can't get near his purity, his light. And so we chose to try and meet our need for happiness with our own solutions apart from God. We sinned. And the third thing we went through is God. Sin needing punishment. God is fire. God is righteous. And so when there is things that are outside his will and plan, they need to be punished. Um, penalty. God in his justice, though, passed that penalty. And in his love, he paid and took the penalty on himself at the cross. So three things. God loves, man sins, God saves. That's what we went through last week. So what I want you to do again, find someone you didn't just talk to. I'm making it easy for you. I'm putting it up there. Find someone you didn't just talk to, which may mean moving, um, and share these things with them. I know David's there wanting someone to share some stuff with him. He, he just sat there on his own last time. And can I go with you? You want to come talk? You can come talk to me. Okay. 
Another 10 seconds on that. Good job, thank you. Okay, so we're going to talk this week about the next aspect of that, uh, following on from those points, because that leaves us with the question of what we have to do in those things. So last week we spoke about God and us, this week we're going to talk about us and God, and, and go about who we are in God, and, and I'm trying something new without my iPad, and so we're seeing where I'm up to. Great. Now, who's ever, you can tell me, what's the best gift you've ever received? Life, that's neat. Food? What's the best present someone's ever given you? A coffee machine. What sort of coffee machine was it, David? An espresso coffee machine. A piano and a guitar. Neat. Now, now tell me about that. Yes. A trampoline. Neat. So now tell me about that guitar, trampoline, piano, coffee machine. What did you have to do to make that present actually worthwhile? Let's, let's assume you're already born and living in, in existence. Every day? So you got it in a box? Oh, you took it out of the box. You had to open the box. Sorry? You exited the womb. That's, that's great, Sarah. Thank you for sharing about your box opening that day. That's really neat. Okay. Uh, I knew I should have got you talking to someone next to you instead of trying to talk to me on that. That would have been easier. Okay. Nice. So we've all got gifts. Exciting. And the first thing we've got to do with it, because often we get a present and look at it and go, well, that's really nice. It's a nice wrapped box. And then you open up and find, oh, that's really exciting. Or, okay, now I need to return that and find something better. And, but God has, okay, I, to Tom, I need you to sit in the middle of those fellas. They really like each other, and that's exciting. Yeah, you need to shuffle over, man. Move over a seat. I think I need someone to sit between Noodle and Michael. <laughs> okay. So God's, God's laid out a wonderful invitation for us. He's, he's given us this offer. He made us in love and given us this offer to come home, given us a, a, to gain the inheritance, to have it now. There's no cost, no punishment for this. But we actually have to unwrap it first. We actually have to, to grab it first. And the first thing that we need to do for, for that is we've got to actually make an active choice to do this. It's not something that just happens. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by you being in the room here tonight. It has nothing to do with this. You just rocking up and hanging out doesn't assume this at all. But the first thing is about this. This is all about God being good because him being good only does good things and he wants to help us be part of his family again. And so the way we respond, the first thing we do is believe. Somebody with a, a big voice, read that verse, please. Romans 10.
say, if we believe in our heart, back on that, declare with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. So with our heart, we believe. Inside us, if we have an assurance, belief isn't just about, oh yeah, I believe God's real. But this is a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has paid the penalty for us. This is an assurance and a faith in that. It's putting a reliance on that, that Jesus being the only way, that there's no other way other than him, that we would be justified. And people say it's justified, never sinned. Jesus talks about this young fellow who who rocks up to him one day and and says, "Hey, hey, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? You know, from, from birth, I've, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus asked him, do you keep the commandments? He's like, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. I do all that. I, I... And Jesus doesn't challenge him on that. This young man was religious up to the hilt. He was morally correct in his life. There was nothing immoral he'd done. But he placed a reliance on the righteousness of himself. He placed a reliance on his own goodness. And when Jesus said to him, okay, well, that's easy. I just want you to do one more thing then. Go sell all your possessions, sell your car, sell your house, sell your stocks and, and give it all to the poor and then come follow me. He decided he couldn't do that. He wanted to do it by a, a way of, of his own way making it rather than faith in Jesus. There's this little statement that goes, faith alone. There's only one way. Jesus is the only way. There is no other Thing in there, Acts 4 says that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man can be saved. We need to believe on Jesus, Jesus alone. Second word in that, which came from what we were just reading, is confess. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus is Lord. That's a a weird statement. It's not something we really use anymore today, that word lordship. But essentially what it means is rulership. Um, No other God. He's the only one. See, when this was written, people lived in a time and and they had plural gods. They had many gods. And they lived in a society where people would have all these gods. And so this was a foreign concept for them to only have one God whom they worshipped. It essentially means to cease being our own master and let Jesus be our master. The one, he's the one that sets the rules for us. We're free, but we're slaves in that regard. And so we're going to talk about a couple of words within that, how we actually do this and confess. The first one's acceptance, that we need to accept um, God. Can I get someone to read that one, please? Everyone who calls. Who needs to call? Is it enough that mum went to church? Is it enough that dad's a Christian? Is it enough that great grandma prays? No. You. It has to be you. God has no grandchildren. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I want to be your God and I want you to be my grandchildren. I want someone in between you and me. He says, no, I want you to be my children. Um, 
someone else read that one, please. Those who believe. The individuals. So this is everyone. Every people group, every person. The gospel's for everyone. Steve was talking this morning. We've got 217 ethnicities in our city. Um, maybe a rude shock for you. Heaven's not going to be full of white people. No matter what the KKK ever said. It's, it's not the way that's going to be. Um, I know people that look different and smell different and sound different and all sorts of things. It's going to be absolutely amazing in, in what heaven... Looks like this is this is we have to uh, replace our attachment to possessions and put our attachment in Him. Except this this looks like actually we need to say it. You know, one of the things in there it actually says with your mouth. Some people say to God, "I'm going to pray a prayer in my head." But the whole thing is, it's important to when we accept Jesus that we actually speak it out loud and declare it to someone else. And notice how it's, it's speaking out loud. It's not just declaring to God. It's telling, the, telling someone else about it. When someone gets saved and, and comes to know Jesus, the very first thing you should instruct them to do is go tell someone about it. Go share what you've done. Go share what, what's happened in your world with somebody else because when we confess God before people, Jesus says he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. So we accept the second thing as part of confession is repent. Um, find someone you haven't ch- chatted with yet and Tell them what this word means. I don't know. Yeah. Another 10 seconds on that one. Second. Awesome. Now let's, let's return to the group. Finish up on the sentence that you're on. And who can share something about that? What's, what's repentance? Something that the person you're speaking to just shared with you. Yes. Saying sorry? Yep. Regretting past things? Feeling sorry about past things? Yep. Kicking bad things to the curb? Sorry, Nielsen said something. U turn. Doing a, doing a handbrake? Yeah, okay. Do a Ewing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Okay, we're going to talk a bit more about that just quickly. And, and so 
1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, this is one of those really neat verses. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. And he'll purify, not just forgive them, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. What an awesome promise. He'll go, oh, does God actually forgive me? Will he actually, oh, I don't know, it just seems a bit simple a transaction. Yeah, it is a simple transaction. It's absolutely neat because he promises that if we're actually going to confess it, he'll do that. So we had, um, we were talking last week about sin being our big problem. Uh, Jesus is our big solution. And so this becomes our big answer to it. Can I get a big voice reading this one? Thank you, Sarah. You know, um, a lot of people say that you've got to be sad for repentance. That um, feeling guilty about something, feeling, feeling sad about it. Godly sorrow brings repentance, that leads to salvation, leaving no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. What's worldly sorrow? What's that look like? <laughs> what if um all right, so I don't know, you go down the supermarket and look at the stuff and, and you decide I really want this and put it in your pocket and, and walk out of there. As you, as you walk out of the shop, the security guard comes up and goes, taps you on the shoulder, hey, mate, you haven't paid for that. All of a sudden, you feel really sad. I got caught. Worldly sorrow. I feel sad about this. I feel sorrowful about it. Not because I believe what I did was wrong, but because I got caught about it. Because I'm being punished for it, because something's gone on in my world, and, and, and people get caught on it and they go, oh, I better repent, I better tell Jesus I'm, I'm bad because I got found out on what I was doing. But that's got nothing to do with repentance at all, and it's got nothing to do with actually this whole thing at all. Because it's got nothing to do with being caught and, and being punished. It all has to do with what's inside. If all of a sudden you walked out with that and you walked out and go, man, what I did was really wrong then because stealing's wrong. Whether a security guard taps you on the shoulder or not, something's gone on inside you. There's been a change deep inside you and that's where repentance actually starts. A sorrowful because your actions have hurt somebody else. Sorry because not of what it does for you but how it affects somebody else. So we we can feel guilty and sad about our sin because it has an effect on our life. Um, I did a U-turn in front of a cop at a set of lights and he busted me for it. I'm really sad about this because I now have to pay a 600 buck fine, whatever it is, $400 fine and three, three, three points. Um, or we go, oh man, I, I really, 
I shouldn't be doing that because it, it could affect somebody else and cause an accident. And does that make sense? I, I, that's, that's what this thing's talking about. Essentially, the whole thing going on in this, and Brendan was talking about before, he said U-turn. It's changing your mind, allowing your mind to be changed about something. So it can involve emotions. It can involve that you feel bad or sorry or, or you feel regret for upsetting or hurting someone else or feel, feel pain for how you've hurt Jesus for doing something. Or it may have nothing to do with emotion at all. And it's just changing your mind about it. Or another way of doing that is agreeing with Jesus. Agreeing with how Jesus views something or, or, or sees something. Um, one of the things about repentance is it's from sin towards Jesus. So one of those things, we can either be running away from sin or running towards Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you on repentance stuff, always run towards Jesus. If you can only do one, I encourage you to do both of them. But if you're going to do one, just run towards Jesus on his things. And, and here's, here's the thing. So I don't need to do that. In the past, God overlooked ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is essential in our lives that we deal with sin. There is no option for this in your world. There is no option in your life. You've got to do it. Um, one more aspect of our response. Change. Change. Paul said this, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate it by their deeds. Now here's something. We're not justified by what you do. To accept Jesus, you don't have to be the best person in the world. You can be the most rotten person in the whole world, and you don't actually have to change that day. You don't have to change before you talk to him. You don't have to change to earn your way to heaven. There is nothing in that. We are justified by faith alone, belief in Jesus alone. He is the only way. He is the only righteousness. You can never be good enough. But only his righteousness will make a way. But true repentance means that we're going to agree with how Jesus views something, and it means our actions are going to change, our attitude's going to change, how we talk's going to change, how we think's going to change. If the outside appearance doesn't change, the inside, there's no evidence of the inside happening. It hasn't gone on. Now, this is why, you know, what have I got next? There we go, Matthew 3, 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Our actions are the fruit, not the root. Our holy actions and our righteous actions are the fruit of it, not the root of it. It's the result of the change and result of the repentance. So this is one of the reasons that I, we don't have this big list of rules here in our church. And we're not going to. We're not going to have a big list of rules and sit there. Dude, it would take, I'm not, it would take way too long to sort that out. David might actually have the patience to write one up. Um, and, and create one. And he'd enjoy doing that. He really would. But I can guarantee, I would not enjoy enforcing it. And here's the other thing. What's sin for you and is, might not be sin for me and it might not be sin for the person sitting across from you and, and, and what the Holy Spirit asks you of you might be different. It's why the early um, apostles actually wrote to the churches. And I'm going to give you two rules. Don't eat meat that was sacrificed and sex is for marriage. Get close to the Holy Spirit and listen to him and what he teaches you. Now, they also had a set of values for leaders, though. 
and we do likewise. We have a set of values for our leaders that we expect to follow. But we're not going to have a set of rules for Christians to tick the boxes on. Because the whole, as we repent and turn our hearts towards the Holy Spirit and Jesus, we're going to want to change and live righteously. But for our leaders, there is a set of values that we expect to follow. Because Paul sat, sat that out. That is in the Bible, setting out values for leadership. Paul said that to Timothy. Um, the evidence of our eternal change. Okay. Last thing tonight is the results of what all this brings. Brings forgiveness of sin. Our sins are forgiven. Our unrighteousness is cleansed. Or our conscience is cleansed inside us. We are made the righteousness of God. Righteousness means we are right. You're in right relationship. That things are okay. You know how sometimes you get in a relationship with someone and, and you know there's something wrong between you? Righteousness means that things are going well between you. Faith alone, it's justified never sin. And a new life, youth scripture, key youth scripture says, God has made us new. All things in Christ are new. The old is gone, the new is come. We have a new life. So Jesus made a bridge over our sin so we can be back in relationship as family. So last week we spoke about God loves man, sins, God saves. Tonight we're going to say the fourth aspect of all that is man receives in our response. We need to make an individual active decision. Active is a key word there. Let me see if this works. No, that's sad. Oh. No, no, I was seeing if my highlighter thing works. There it is. Hey. Oh, boo. Oh, um, active decision. It has to be, you've got to make it. It's only you that can do it. Commit to Jesus. It involves these things. Belief that Jesus is the only way. Confessing to him and others that you accept him as Lord. Repenting from sin. And having changes. So the final thing we're going to do tonight. Find someone you haven't spoken to. So a lot, for half of you, it might involve getting up and going across the room. And share this with them. Share the aspect of what um, the fourth law in that. So we spoke last week about God loves, man sins, God saves. Tonight we're talking about man receives. So go share with someone about what it actually means to receive Jesus into your life. Go. Go.